thank you for that beautiful prayer, Vic, uh, for the victims at Uvalde and for their families. Uh, before I start my sermon, I have to tell you that um, I've been working on my sermon during the week, but all week long, my mind has been elsewhere, sadly, um, and it's been on this tragedy and how to talk to you as a congregation about things like this. And uh, there's nothing we can express that is not expressed in Scripture more and more to the point. This is from the book of Jeremiah. I'm going to read this to you, say a few words, and then uh, if the Holy Spirit lets me, I'll preach my sermon. If He doesn't, I'm just going to start preaching on Jeremiah 19. But if you have uh, your Bible, turn to that passage. And we're going to just read the first few verses. I'll, I'll read it to you. You don't have to necessarily read it yourself, but uh, you might just want to listen. He's speaking to the people of God. He's speaking to His holy church. Now, these words are not for our culture. And you need to understand that. These words are coming from the lips of a prophet to His people. Now hear God's word. Thus says the Lord, go, he's telling Jeremiah, to go buy a potter's earthenware flask. Take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests and go to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say, now he's talking to us, the church, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place, by making offerings in it to other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers know, nor the kings of Judah have known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence and have built the high places of Baal, to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it ever come into my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I don't know what that does to you. It chills me to the bone because God is saying to us that something so horrific is happening in our midst, inside the the world of the church 
and outside in our culture. Something so horrific is happening in that day that God himself, who knows all things, who's omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent and all the other great theological categories that we have for this majestic God, he says in our language, he uses an anthropomorphism or some scholars say an anthropopathism to express his horror. It never came into my mind. God Almighty is saying to his people, and he's begging you to understand this, these things never came into my mind. And we think that our culture is broken. Yeah, it is. But you know what God has been witnessing? The whole creation since Genesis chapter 3, He's been witnessing the valley of Hinnom. Where the people of God would take their babies and have an altar heated up so hot that it would just burn the children into smoke, incinerate them. And they would call their priests and their religious leaders to come and beat drums. They, they had drums and they would beat these drums and beat these drums and they would bring the baby and put them in the fire and the drums would beat so that nobody would hear them scream. You know, only the prophet Jeremiah could get away with this. And he goes on. There's chapter after chapter where he is scolding the church. Look at what's happened to your world. And folks, I've talked to you. I don't know how much about idolatry. Believe me, idolatry is in the church as just, just as much as out there. We, fool, we are kidding ourselves if we don't see the idolatry in our midst. My job and Gary and Rick and Dave and Ugo and the other leaders in our church, the Women's Council, our whole job is to preach to you about the dangers of idolatry, even in the church. And I could go on, but I know that, I know that you get the message. None of this came into God's mind. We know He knows all things, but He's saying to us, this is so horrific, even I could not have conceived. When did that start? It started in the Garden of Eden with, with Adam and Eve, our first parents, and it has never let up until today. It's gotten worse at times, gotten better in times, just depends on where you live. If you lived in Massachusetts... The, in the 1700s, then you would have saw, seen horror right on our shores. If you were uh, here during the Civil War, you would have seen unspeakable horrors committed by both sides. No righteousness involved, maybe at some level, but it was just slaughter. <laughs> the valley of slaughter. The church, we have been called not to stand outside of a classroom for one hour while children are killed. We are called, as David French wrote in a magnificent article this morning in the dispatch, we're called 
And those of you in the military know you've been trained, or law enforcement, you've been trained to do this. We're called as the church to do as they do, run into there, run into the fire, take the bullets, take, take your cross, follow me, go where Jesus went, into the, into the horror, not standing back, don't cloister, don't hide, don't cover up your head, don't, don't close the shell like a clam, I don't want to see, I don't want to look out there, and withdraw. Now is not a time to withdraw, my friends. Now is a time to go and die. Die if necessary. And I know when the guns are flying and it's all blazing, everybody does something. That there's something that moves. Let's build the gospel into our hearts in such a way that we can respond in courage to the threats of our poor world. They need us there not hiding underneath our tables in church and saying, oh God, I'm not sure I want to go out there. Too scary. It's scary. I have an eight-year-old granddaughter. The youngest shot in this this horror was eight years old. And my granddaughter's in a public school, Hogg Elementary School. Both of my kids are in a school like that. And not far from Uvalde, closer than El Paso. May God help us. Amen. May God help us. Well, I'm going to read. I'm going to go ahead with my sermon. I got the green light from the Holy Spirit. He actually does show up at Presbyterian churches. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> he does. All right. We're going to start with verse 9. I just want to finish up today with something that is really extremely important, but in, in the book of Romans, it's, it is almost impossible not to get caught up, and I think we should get caught up, in these magnificent theological statements that Paul is making and throwing out there and saying, this is the gospel, this is the gospel, it's for you, it's for everybody, it's for the Jew, it's for the Gentile, there's no more of that. We are all one human race, and we've got to figure this thing out together. Paul is saying, I'm going to give you a strong treatise for why there is, listen, a new humanity that is forming in the midst of a world that is tohu babohu formless and void. The tohu vabohu that the Holy Spirit took control of in Genesis and made something out of it is, to some extent, gone. And Genesis 3 issued us into a new world of chaos and God called His people to keep on planting, keep on building, go out into the, the, the mess of this world. Why? Listen to me, church. Because every one of you, I hope, has experienced those moments, not just one, all those moments that Jesus has entered into our tohu vaboho, our mess, our chaos, our sin. He never walked away. He ran to it. He ran into the door. He let the bullets fly. He could have called 10,000 angels. He didn't do it. He just let it happen and he went into it. He didn't stand by passively and say, oh my goodness, they caught me. 
He wasn't hiding behind one of the olive trees and peeking around saying, catch me, catch me if you can. He strode out with all the boldness that any human being could ever have and stepped right into the line of fire for who? For you and me. And he's never let up till this day. I should have stuck with Jeremiah. (laughs) All right, here, let's read this. Now is the blessing only for the Jews or is it for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. How did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? That's only after he was a part of God's covenant. All right. Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. He's talking about Genesis 15, actually Genesis 12, 15, 17, and in between there's this magnificent narrative, a historical narrative where God is making his covenant, his relationship with Abraham that exists today. It's not just for the Jewish or Hebrew people. It's for the world because he told Abraham, you will be a blessing to all the nations in Genesis 12 when he first introduced himself. going to make you a blessing to all the nations. So, circumcision was a sign. It was just a sign and a seal that Abraham had been chosen and was marked in a bloody sacrifice, marked to be God's man. And so all the progeny, I don't want to get too crass about this, but all the progeny that flowed from this circumcised man, all that progeny would then, the, the sign would be placed on them as well, Genesis 17. And so all the progeny that flowed from this man would be the people of God. It's why we baptize our babies. Folks, it's just plain and simple. Our babies belong to God. We put a mark on them. We use water. You know, we don't want to hurt them. We use water. We mark them. We mark them all, male and female. And from the time of their birth till the time that they ask to come to this blessed table, we tell them, you belong to God. You are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus because you've been marked and are part of the the children of Abraham. Let's go, continue. Even before he was circumcised. So Abraham, listen, is the spiritual father. You're going to read this several times. If you have your Bible or you have the bulletin, circle that. What does that mean? He's a spiritual father. Now listen what he says. It's, It's crazy. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. In other words, they're not Israelites. They're not Hebrews. They're not part of the Jewish nation. They're just us, all of us. We're the unclean, the outside, the uncircumcised, the bad people. Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised they are counted righteous now we come now we're in because of their faith and Abraham is also listen 
Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised. In other words, he doesn't just write off his people and say, eh, I'm done with you, I'm finished with you. No, he actually elects and chooses, don't get nervous, don't break out in hives. He does his thing with even his own people. So he's saving everyone, all kinds of people. Circumcised, not circumcised. Gentile, Jew. Uh, Americans, Mexican Americans, Mexicans, and Colombians, and French. I know it's hard to believe. The French, he's going to save some of them. And Spaniards, uh, my wife is from Spain. So I get, she here? Oh, yeah, she's in the back. Sorry. Even people from Cuba. Going to save pe- even people from Fabens. He's going to save these people from everywhere. All kinds of people. Not every single human, but every kind. Think of us. We are a diverse group. Clearly, God's promise to give, listen, this is verse uh, 13. The whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based on his obedience to God, was not based on his obedience to God's law, but on his relationship, his right relationship, the relationship that Abraham did not forge with God, but God forged with him. Abraham was living in a pagan society. His parents and his father especially worshipped other gods. God goes and gets him. If God had not gone to get him of his own volition, God's own volition, and spoken to Abraham and showed himself to Abraham and commanded Abraham, he didn't say, well, you know, why don't you come over here and visit with me over in Canaan? No, you go and you leave your father behind. These are powerful words, folks, that Paul is invoking and he's invoking it to an audience that would understand the concepts that were going on. These people were not ignorant of the Bible. I'm talking about Old Testament Bible. So all of this would have resonated with it, would have vibrated with them. They would have said, wow, this is brand new, but wow, it's really not brand new. He promised this to Abraham in chapter 12 of your Bible. He promised the devil this in chapter 3 of Genesis. He promised Adam and Eve in chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis that he would give them the whole world if they would just trust him. And mankind, but folks, we have never, no one has ever trusted God fully until Jesus. Not my will, your will be done. Wow. This is your Savior. As I told you last week, this is the man who gave his life for you. This is the man who stands beside you starting on your worst day and every day after, no matter what happens, even if there's bad days ahead, this is the man that comes and says, I will not leave you. He gets right here. He never moves from there. You can't push him away. You can't sin yourself away from him because his mercy is more. We sing that beautiful song. My sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And we just let him come out of our mouth. And I'll think about that for even a second. I want you to think about it. His mercy is more. And Apostle Paul is saying that you are now a seed of Abraham. You are now one of his children. Clearly, verse 13, God's promises 
to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants. If you're reading it in context, that means you and I. He's now talking about the world being given to us. That's why Uvalde matters. That's why all injustice matters. That's why the horror of this world is to be engaged by no one less than the church. Yeah, we send law enforcement. And yeah, we have government. But we have got to find the courage, folks, in our age. And I know we're a small group, and there, but our PCA, our churches, are, are, there's, a, there's a group that are united saying, look at the mess. Don't retreat. Go. Our RUF leaders... Eduardo and Jeff before him and Jonathan Clark up at New Mexico State and Daniel, Daniel Davilos who will be taking his place. All these young men are telling our college kids and younger at YXL when we have YXL for the teenagers, go, trust this man with your life, every aspect of your life. Not just your, your sin, but your obedience. He wants to be there present when you're obeying Him. And when you mess up, He's the agent. He is the one, the power that brings you back. How else would you get back to Him? Not by your effort. You didn't get there in the first place. By your effort, that's what He's telling us. We are there by His good graces. And so He... He never leaves us. I know people say, in fact, Paul addresses this. We're going to look at it in a few weeks. Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid, he says. He uses a double negative, very strong in Greek. No, no way, absolutely not. No, we don't sin because grace abounds. Are you crazy? Because grace abounds, you obey. And you love to obey. And when you don't obey, and when you are feeling constrained by His Rules, and there are only a few. There's ten, and you know how that goes. There's not that many. But they cover everything. And so when we obey, He's eyes please. He's go, go, go. And when we mess up, when we sin grievously, I mean bad. Like me, ten years of just absolute, as an adult, after God had shown me immeasurable grace, shaking my fist and telling Him, I'm done with you. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And the longer it went, the harder my heart got. And at the end, he didn't look at my hard heart and say, oh my goodness, Chuck, he's got a hard heart. You know Excalibur, the sword and the stone, right? You know that stone? Nobody could pull that stone. Jesus went to that stone. He pulled that sword. I mean, yeah. Arthur didn't do that. That legend is based on Jesus Christ. Jesus drew the sword and the stone was free. And Jesus took the sword and he plunged it into his own heart for you and for me. And then he died. The sword's in his heart. He goes into the pit of hell, the worst place you can imagine, on the cross. Not He didn't go into hell just you know down there. He went to hell up here. And when he died and his body was laid in the grave, I don't know, it's a mystery to me, but somehow he pulled that sword out. And when he did, every stone was broken. Every hard heart was crushed and turned to hearts of flesh. Every one of them that he puts his mark on. 
and loves into new life. That's the gospel, folks. And Paul is telling us that in the plainest terms here that that anyone can imagine. Verse 14, if God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary. If you could earn your way, if you could do anything possible to get into God's good graces, if there was some way to do it, the law would have been that way. Obey the Ten Commandments and you will live. Jesus told the rich young ruler, obey and you will live. And the the rich young ruler says, I have obeyed. I've honored my father and mother. I don't have any idols in my house. Oh, I have some in my heart. Jesus, <laughs> he's listening to that. See, he's hearing that. And I, you know, I, I give to the poor. I'm, I, I've done everything. This young man who is very rich and very, very ang- arrogant, but tenderhearted somewhat. And he comes to, what must I do to be saved? Jesus said, obey the commandments, you will be saved. He says, I have done that. Then Jesus, uh, only he can do this guy, this wonderful Savior. I, you know, I don't know how any of us can read these stories about him in a cavalier or casual fashion. I read it. I used to read it like that. I can't read it like that anymore. I read it and I go, what? And that's after being in seminary and graduate school and all the other stuff and becoming so smart, my brain almost can't contain it. You know, I had a brain MRI a few weeks ago because I can't walk. And you know, they found something. It was empty. (laughs) At the bottom of my skull, there was a little gravel. Nothing there. No, I'm kidding. Listen, folks. This God has, has called you to something that is greater and more magnificent than you could even imagine because he told the young man, sell all you have and follow me. Sell it all. Follow me. Jesus read his heart. His heart couldn't give those things up. It was just too much. And so he went away sad, and the scriptures, uh, they amaze us, because as he walked away, it says Jesus loved him. As he walked away, and I think about myself when I walked away from God, shook my fist at him, said, nah, I'm done with you. How that saddened our Lord. He loved me, though. And so I got a few paces away, and then what do you think happened? What do you think happened? He got right, he came right up behind me, probably threw an arm around my shoulder, And it says, I'll go. I'll go with you into your filth and your sin and your shaking your fist. I'll go there. And when I'm ready, I'm going to break that stone. Folks, I don't know. That's your gospel. That's what we come to church. That's why you're spending Saturday or Sunday morning here. Maybe it should be Saturday. I don't know. Sunday morning here. Because you're coming to hear this and taste it. I mean, for goodness sakes, I'm not just hearing me talk. I'm nothing. I'm the front man. I'm the opening act. 
for the main attraction, the real thing that happens. Every time we gather together, Jesus Himself is in our midst and says, take and eat. This is my body. Take, drink. This is my blood. He didn't say, have a piece of bread, drink a little wine. He said, this is my body, my blood. Come, taste, see, feel, know, experience. Know that your life is nourished. Your your being is being nourished. Why? Because you're the seed of Abraham. He's the spiritual father, not just of the Jews. Every human being that trusts him. We don't become stepchildren because we're Gentiles. You don't become number two and he's got number one. They live over there and they're, you know, he's got to give them a great army and all this other stuff. Sure, yeah, but no. We are not stepchildren. We are full children. Same way he adopted Abraham, God adopted us through Abraham and his descendants I can't say the word descendants. I hope you can't either, at least never again, without hearing the name Jesus next to descendants. You see, folks, in seminary, I remember Richard Pratt, he drew this on the, on the he had blackboards all over the, the whole room. He drew a funnel, two funnels. One was Adam and Eve, and over here, uh, it was Jesus Christ. And, and, of course, humanity shrank and shrank and shrank because of disobedience. And so it got down to Abraham, and he was a pagan. So God goes and just grabs him and takes him out, and brings him to the promised land, shows him himself, start making promises, descendants. Great, he starts having descendants, but instead of expanding and going out into the world and doing what God called them to do, what did they do? Oh, they send up a storm. And by the time you have 12, you're down to 12, they had really sent up a storm. And they were down in this little pocket down here. And all 12 of them were like nutty. And so God pulls one out, Joseph, and puts him in Egypt. He does all this stuff so that they could survive. Just to survive. Genesis chapter 50. And this little tiny group make their way through God's tunnel of preservation and love and care. And out the other end comes Moses and this group of people and off they go and they're you know, multiplying and they get to the land, they take over the land and what do they do? They send up a storm and the funnel gets small again. So what does God do? He comes along and he squeezes the shepherd boy, the eighth son. If you read your Bible, he's the eighth son, not the seventh. The eighth was nobody. He was the one out in the pasture He was not worth. We don't even bring him to the party because the seven sons are what matter. But the eighth one's out there. Samuel says, go get him. (laughs) You're crazy. It is absolutely crazy. And he squeezes David through that funnel to the other side. By grace plus nothing. And if you read the Psalms, you know David believed this down in the innermost part of his being. He squeezes David out the other end. David has sons, many sons. Here they go. And they're expanding. And what do they do? What do they do? They sin like the devil. 
And down and down they go and go and go. They're taken to exile. They're in Rome, under Roman control. They don't have, they can't even breathe. They're in such chains of slavery. Father Abraham birthed these people, but there's nobody there that'll fit through that hole. Until our Savior comes. And then, the hole he gets squeezed into, folks, what do you think that hole is? What do you think that pit is? What do you think it is? Starts in the garden and it comes out the other side on the resurrection. That's where our Savior... God took his only son, for goodness sakes, and he squeezes him through that pit, that horror, beyond anything that could happen in Uvalde or Sandy Hook or anywhere else to any of you. It happened to God's son. His most precious thing. I have two sons. I wouldn't give them up for anybody. I wouldn't give them up for El Paso, Texas. Goodbye, El Paso. But he squeezes his son through that horror and out through the other side he comes, the descendant of Abraham. The seed. Not plural. Paul goes to extreme links in Galatians to say not seeds as many, but seeds as one. But you are the seeds. You are the descendants of Abraham if you trust Jesus. Plus nothing. Don't you bring stuff to him. He has seen the best. He has seen the glory. He saw it on the cross. He looked at it and he said, This is my artistic design that's the sounds of which we heard this morning the, the beauty of which we'll taste in a minute, the dish, delicious meal. The, 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 the heavens cannot contain the glory that stepped out of the grave and said to every one of you, trust me. Just trust me. This is what Abraham is saying. Look at verse 16. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. You can't pay for it. You can't merit. There's nothing you can do. It's His. He gives it. And when He does, He does it freely. No obligation. No strings attached. Nothing He wants from you other than you trust Him. And if you trust Him, you will learn to love Him. This man is unbelievable. He is, he is lovable. He's not way up there where you can't reach Him. He's down here with us. By the power of His Holy Spirit, here, with, in, every one of you. And me, I hope. The promise is received by faith. It is a free gift. And we are all certain. No question. It is absolutely certain. 100%. We are certain to receive it. If whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, we don't have to go through all this. is talking about ceremonial law. He's not talking about moral law or any of that yet. Just saying, this, the, all this law stuff, you don't have to keep it. If you trust, what he's saying is, if you trust me, you'll look at the Ten Commandments and you'll say, yes, that's the way. I know it's not going to merit me anything. 
I'm going to do it for one reason and one reason. I'm going to follow those laws. I'm going to lay down my life, pick up my cross. I'm going to look at God's law to love God and my neighbor as myself. See, he codifies all ten into two. This is the word of Jesus, not me. He codifies them into one. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Go and do that. Why? Not to get merit. Not to earn something. No brownie points, no stars on the chart. He calls you to do that because you love Him. And sometimes you do it just because. Maybe you're struggling to love Him, and I've been there too. And I go, you know, I don't love you right now. You're bugging me. You're really bothering me. Would you turn your face away from me so I can have joy? That's what David said to him. Turn your face away from me so that I can have joy again. Quit looking at me. And he doesn't stop. He just persists. Don't you hate that? Just persists and persists. And eventually his, his hugging and his loving and his passion for you squeezes all that junk out. And off you go again with him on your side. Go, new obedience. Repent, have faith, move to new obedience. That's our life. That's the Christian gospel. All right. I don't even know where I am, but I'm going to finish right now. Yikes. This happened, this is uh, verse 17, I believe. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings many nations. That's us. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings back the dead to life and who creates new things out of nothing, ex nihilo. Abraham is thinking of creation. Listen, folks. He is thinking of creation, Paul, who brings everything out of nothing. And Abraham is thinking of that, and he's thinking of his body, a hundred years old, no more, nothing left there to make a baby. He's thinking of his old wife, she's 90 years old, and beyond having a baby, the text is clear, she didn't look like a 25-year-old, she was 90. And God did the same thing with Abraham and Sarah. Please listen. He did the same thing with Abraham and Sarah that he did on day one. Ex nihilo, he brings Isaac. Out of nothing. He brings Jacob and Esau. Out of nothing, he brings 12 tribes. Out of nothing, he brings Solomon and all the glory you can imagine. Streets are paved with gold. And out of this poor virgin, Mary, and her husband, who God blessed Joseph, who stood by her when she was a pregnant teenager and said, he's mine. <laughs> Joseph, we overlook him. He said, he's mine. I'll take him. And all the shame along with it. And all the question marks. He's my son. And Joseph is one of the few people in the Bible that is never cast in a negative light. There's only a handful. You can count them on one hand maybe. Joshua. And... Oh, anyway. 
You get the idea. I could. There's only a few people in the Bible that are idealized as being okay. They're not, but the Bible uses that. And Joseph is one of them. He's my son. Why? So God could make Joseph his son. Through Jesus, this man who does these magnificent things. So the promise is received by faith, given as a free gift. We're all certain to receive it. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when he told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. Folks, when you're dead, you're dead. (laughs) There's nothing, nothing that can be done to bring, reanimate the dead. Victor Frankenstein, notwithstanding. But what Victor Frankenstein brought from the dead was a monster, corrupted in every bit of his form and nature. That's what science creates. That's what this world will say. Oh, we can do this. We can stop every shooting. Police arrived in three, four minutes. The kids were dead. How long does it take? The military, our military guys, how long does it take to spray a little room full of little ones and kill 19 of them and two teachers? How long? Maybe seconds. That. God says to us, that never came into my mind. We think, why did God make the world this way? He did not make the world this way. He made the world good. He repeats it. It's a song. It's a a chant that goes over and over. Good, 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 very good. Stop blaming Him. It's not Him. For goodness sakes, it never came into His mind. Taking an automatic weapon and stepping into a classroom and killing children. And don't think this is new. This is nothing new. They were doing it in Israel. Right within sight of the temple of God. He was in there looking at it and he was going, what? This never entered my mind. Well, look at 20. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in it, he brought glory to God. Let me finish with this, folks. I, I, I know I've gone way off script, and I apologize, but I, my heart is just aching, not only for the families. I know you, all of you are too. Everybody in this room has experienced loss to one degree or another, some more than others. But Abraham did not waver. In fact, his faith grew stronger. Why? Because I told you week by week, we've been talking about what is faith? Faith is not something you have like a muscle or something in here that you kind of of work it, work it out, strengthen it, feed the wolf. You know, there's the the good wolf and bad wolf. And so you feed the, the, the the good wolf and the bad wolf will always be taken over. That's nutty. That's not the gospel. 
The gospel is not any of that. The gospel and trusting Jesus is simply this. Look at the horror in Uvalde, far away, abstract, kind of can't really get it in your mind. Look at it and say, I don't understand all this. This is beyond me. I read my Bible. It didn't even come into the mind of God. What am I going to do? And here's simple. I'll trust him. And things get worse. You get diagnosed with some horrific disease and things start falling apart. Your marriage isn't good. You lose some money. You, you, you lose a baby. Like our sweet Paulette who plays the piano, she lost her daughter in a car accident. The horror. You look and you say, no, I'll trust him. That's all I can do. I'm going to trust him. Not resignation, a positive decision. I will trust him. Abraham's faith never wavered. In fact, it grew stronger. Why? Because Abraham pushed into the chaos just like we are called to do. And what do you find in there? What do you find at rock bottom? What do you find in that pit, that hole, that darkness? What's there? Yeah, it's not a what. It's a who. Not more faith. More of Him. And folks, that is the message that we are called to preach first to ourselves every day, then to the world as we move into the Uvaldes and the Ukraines and the Juarez, the mess in why You take your life in your hands every time you go over there. And Max goes, Paulette goes, some of you have gone over there. Taken, are you taking your life in your hands? And some of us, like your pastor, have to come to church and preach, and I take my life in my hands. <laughs> will you trust him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, we come to you because um, you first loved us. In fact, we're going to learn that before uh, you ever, we ever knew you, you knew us. And while we were yet sinners, while we were at the worst place possibly could imagine, while we were suffering and dying and, and sometimes doing inexplicable things, you were there. And the power you brought to that dead, stony heart was life. The sword, not a weak sword like Excalibur, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It put us to death. It resurrected us. And Father, we ask that you would strengthen us so we can move out into those ugly places in our own life, yes, in the life of others as well. We pray this in your name. Amen.